Father, we come before you and we ask that you would help us to understand this idea of casting lots and the picking of the apostles and the qualifications of the apostles. And we know that this was how the church began and how you had selected 12 and how Judas was no longer part of that. And there were 11 left. And Lord, you chose somebody. And we understand that you have chosen these leaders for our benefit. They have communicated to us doctrine, teaching, what is right and wrong in the church. And Father, may we apprehend these truths. Not go away today here void of understanding. But would you fill us up, though it cost us everything, help us to get that understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. So normally it was a way of choosing between two individuals. You know, in the Old Testament, they had the breastplate of the priest that was there. And he also had the Urim and the Thummim. The Urim and the Thummim, it was a white stone and it was a black stone. And they would use those two things to determine yes or no or this way or that way is what they would do with the Urim and the Thummim. There was other supernatural ways that is believed that the breastplate would light up and the letters and God would commit uh, a message to them through the lighting up of particular letters on the breastplate. We don't know exactly how it took place, but God would speak to the priest in this particular fashion. All other times, they would just be casting lots to see what took place. For instance, when it comes to Yang Kippur and in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 33, we know that the lot is cast into the lap and it is every decision is from the Lord. And in Le- Leviticus chapter 16, verse 8, it says, He is to cast lots for two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. And if you remember on Yachimpur, they would put the prayers, the hands on the goat. The high priest would pray over that and that goat, one would be sacrificed and the other one would be sent into the wilderness and they would cast lots like the Urim and the Thummim or they would use the knuckles however they did it to determine which goat goes in which direction, which one's sacrificed and which one gets to go free. There was also in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua, they were casting lots to see who gets what land parcel, what what uh, tribe got a particular area of land. And so they would just, you know, guys are sitting around, it's like playing dice. And by the way, that's one of the things that they used too. There were dice that had symbols on them. Dice are ancient. They aren't just something that came up in Vegas because they wanted to get you over there. It's something that just goes back centuries that they would use dice. And sometimes you can get pictures of these dice if you look them up and you look up the knuckles. They have all that stuff online. Well, lots were also cast to see who would live in Jerusalem instead of staying in their hometown. And this is in the book of Nehemiah. So people would come forward and they cast a lot and they say, okay, you're staying. And they cast a lot again and you're going. Then in the book of Jonah, remember Jonah, God told him to go to Nineveh. And he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And so he got on a boat heading in the opposite direction. And God said, ain't no way, no how. And so what happened is as he's on the boat, a tremendous gale came up a storm that was just blowing the ship around the crew members were going we're all going to die what caused this to happen to us because they believed in gods out there that would cause a problem and they decided they're going to cast lots but before that you know jonah's down in the hull of the ship and he's sleeping away and the captain comes down and says what are you doing sleeping you need to call out to your god to make sure he has mercy on us and so that we can survive this And then they decided to cast lots to see who on the boat is responsible for this problem. And they cast lots, and guess who it came up to? Jonah. 
Jonah was the one who was in trouble. So what did they do? Threw him in the water. He got swallowed by a great fish, burped up on the beach, went to Nineveh. He witnessed to the people there. They repented, did exactly what he was supposed to do. And of course, I could go on and how he was a bitter man, a bitter prophet that was there. But it's this idea of casting lots. They found out who he was. Or how about, you know, the Feast of Purim? The Feast of Purim for the Jews, it takes place once a year. And Jesus would have participated in this particular feast. And if you go back to the book of Esther, in the book of Esther, you have Esther, you have Mordecai, her uncle, you have Haman, and you have Xerxes, and all these people are players in the story. And of course, Mordecai was raising Esther, and Esther, you know, the king Vashti, our queen Vashti, you know, she wouldn't call when King Xerxes called her. Uh, She said, no, I'm not going to go there. Who does he think I am? He thinks I'm his slave or his woman at his beck and call, that type of thing. And so they ended up banishing her, and then a decree was made, search throughout the land for virgins for the king. And Esther was chosen for a couple of years. She had all these beauty treatments, taught how to be in the presence of the king Xerxes, And then remember the evil Haman, he hated Mordecai because everybody else would bow before Haman. Haman was like number two in the land. He was a prime minister. And Mordecai would not bow to the evil Haman. And he just hated Mordecai. So what did he do? He goes, you know what, king? He went to the king. There are these people. They're no good people. You can check it in the archives. They're just rotten to the core. And you need to get rid of all of them. And in order to go before the king, he needed to pick a date. And the way he picked a date was by casting lots. This is going to be the day. And by the way, this casting of lots, the word in the Hebrew is pur, P-U-R, where they get the Feast of Purim. The Feast of Purim, and that's the day in which the Jews, remember another decree was written by Xerxes because Haman had the king signed a decree that the Jews are all going to be killed. Well, King Xerxes signed another decree and said, you know, the Jews can arm themselves and we're going to help them. And anybody who helps them, it's okay. And there was some battles that took place and the Jews were not wiped out at that point. But Haman was killed on his own gallows that he wanted to hang Mordecai from. It's a great story, only 10 chapters. I invite you to read that. But casting of lots took place there with the evil Haman. So the casting of lots, the disciples were going to choose a replacement for Judah, Judas, who was one of the 12. And we have the description of the scene leading up to this event. And as we go through this, you want to ask yourself, why does God want us to know about the casting of lots? That this is how you choose church leaders. What if I had a bunch of knuckles up here and I said, we need some more leaders? And I just started casting the lots and said, okay, you're it, you're up. You know, are we supposed to do it that way? Is that what this is about? Is it about something else? And, and, you know, we could do the short straw thing. Do you ever did that as a kid where you had several straws in your hand and the one with the short straw, he's the victim. He's the one that gets to go do whatever it is. Well, we want to make sure that we understand what this passage is going to be about. Now, of course, modern day, uh, we have the picking of the short straw. We have changed it into the flipping of the coin. 
is what we've done. We have it when you have a Sunday night football or Monday night football, whatever it is, you flip the coin and it's by chance, so to speak, and that person gets the advantage. But we want to understand that in the Old Testament, it was done a lot. In the New Testament, it wasn't done hardly at all. And then with these things, and I'm getting a little lost here in my message, I need to go to the right place. There were some other examples in the Old Testament of casting the lots. There were those who were selected for the duties of the priesthood in First Chronicles chapter 25, verse 8, young and old alike. They had lots cast for what their task was to be and what time they were supposed to show up. And also uh, with this casting of lots, it was supposed to be understood that it was directed by God. That God had either that stick or that bone, I don't that bone, that knuckle, that God would have directed which one would be chosen. And God would do that. Now, again, is it supposed to be that we're supposed to practice casting of lots or picking leadership? Or is this just a history lesson? What is the deal with this casting of lots? Well, let's read it in verse 13 of chapter 1 of the book of Acts. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Altheus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Now get the context here again. This is about 40 days. Jesus just ascended to heaven. And this is 40 days afterwards. They went up for about 10 days and they were praying in this room. Some people say that this is the room that Jesus ate the last supper in. We don't know if that's the case or not, but they were all hanging out. There was 120 of them up in this room and they were constantly praying like, Lord, we're waiting for the Holy Spirit. Well, they had to wait about 10 days and that's when Pentecost took place. Excuse me. And in verse 15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. And I asked myself the question, well, when did David ever talk about Judas? Well, Bible scholars have done their homework, and there's a couple of verses. Psalm 109, verse 8 says, May his days be few, may another take his place of leadership. And of course, this would have been revealed to them at the time, the scriptures. Psalm 41, verse 9 says, Even my close friend whom I've trusted, he who shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. Now, if you remember, Judas shared the bread with Jesus before he was betrayed. And so this was written by David, who wrote the Psalms. And this is probably what Peter is referring to here. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry, verse 18. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong and his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Now, if you recall what happened... Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver when he went to the high priest and said, how much you give me, you know, to turn Jesus over to you? He got 30 pieces of silver. He saw that it was just a terrible thing that had happened. He was remorseful. It didn't turn out the way he thought. He probably thought that Jesus needed to be pushed a little forward to rise to king, the Messiah, and take over and, and loose the bounds of the, uh, the bonds of the uh, people who were ruling on the earth, namely the Romans. And when he found that 
it didn't turn out the way he wanted. He took that bag of 30 pieces of silver, threw it back into the temple, and the priest at the temple said, we cannot do this. This is blood money. <laughs> Who gave the blood money? it's the priests that were there well they took and said we need to buy a field to bury people who have no place to be buried and then he went to that same field and in one account in Matthew it says he went away and he hung himself and then in Acts here it says that he fell headlong and his body burst open and all his intestines spilled out a side note I've hung out with a few people that thought that this was wise, that they're looking for direction from the Lord. And what they do is they take the Bible. I actually saw one guy do this. He took the Bible and he's flipping back and forth in the Bible. And he was asking for direction, what he should do. And he opened it up and he went. And he read the verse. And it's like, I don't think that applies to what you're supposed to do. You know, there's a real danger in that. Because if you do something like that, you could end up on this verse. And Judas went out and hung himself. And then if you opened it up again, you could come down, go ye and do likewise. You know, so you could get yourself in a lot of trouble doing it that way. That's like the casting of lots. You don't want to do that. And so Judas, he probably hung himself on a branch that's over the cliff. He rotted or the branch broke. And he fell down and his guts spilled out. And that's a reasonable explanation. Some people would come along and say, well, this is a contradiction between Acts and Matthew. No, it's not. It can be worked out. And there are books, if you don't know this, there are books uh, like, um, I think it's F.F. Bruce, Bible Difficulties. You can go to that. You can look up these things where it seems to be a contradiction. And it's not a contradiction at all. But going on in verse 19, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called the field in their language. Akadama, I'm losing my straws here. That is field of blood. For said, for said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it and may another take his place of leadership. So going on in verse 21, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph and Barnabas, also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. So we don't know exactly how they did this. There may have been knuckles that they threw and so many went to Matthias and so many to the other guy. And maybe that's the way they did it. We, we don't know exactly, but they were rolling the dice, so to speak. So this casting lots, it's really, it's about wanting to know what the Lord desires for us or knowing the mind of Christ or knowing what he wants us to do or what God's will is for us. You know, I, I've had people over the years come to me and they say, you know, what, I, what do you think I should do? I just had this a couple of weeks ago. One of the youth came up to me and he said, you know, I have a choice. I can either go and be a sheriff or I can work at this particular restaurant and they'll train me to be an IT person, but I'm committed to them for the next so many years. And he's looking at me like, 
tell me which one to do. <laughs> and I'm going, hey, it's not my choice, man. This is your choice. You get to do this. And so I, I started questioning him a little bit. I said, which one do you think you're more cut out for? Are you in for a fight? Do you like to fight? Do you like to arrest people? Do you like to wrestle them down? Do you like to like put some pain on them? Is that what you like to do? Because you're going to be in the prisons. You want to do the sheriff's thing. You're going to be in the prisons for two years doing that. I said, is that what you desire to do? Or are you more techie and savvy? And Well, yeah, he fixes iPhones all the time. He splits them apart. He, the restaurant he was working at, he fixed all the IT stuff there. And somebody didn't know what to do with this particular um, technical uh, device that was there. And he goes, uh, you should plug it in. You know, and, and so they, they plugged it in. And so he did stuff like that. And said, so which one over time do you think your bent is leading you into? And that's a good way to decide what God's will is. He has equipped you to do what you need to do already once he calls you. Now, you're not completely refined. And that takes a lot of work to do that. That's part of the discipleship. But usually you have a bent of some kind that the Lord has prepared you for. Now, if, if you don't know what that is, you have, I, know, I have no clue. I don't do anything. Maybe go out and start doing something and see what you like, and God will prepare the path for you as you are preparing to do God's will. That's one way it works. You can get direct verses on what to do or where to go. And, and God works like that as well. But I would recommend that you don't go out and buy a bunch of sheep knuckles. I, I don't think that's a good idea or a pixie stick or the roll of the dice. I, I think you're, you have the risk of running into some real problems if you do that. Or uh, problems that people normally come up with that they want some direction on is like, should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I go to this school? And those are the types of things people want direction on. And all of them are the same. I don't know what you're supposed to do unless it's a moral issue. If somebody comes up and says, I think I need to divorce my husband or I think I need to divorce my wife. I'm never encouraging anybody ever to get a divorce. You'll not hear it from me. Because even in scripture, God married a divorced woman, which was Israel. Israel was divorced by God and he took her back. Remember Gomer? Remember that? That's a wonderful name for a girl. You, you, you marry back Gomer. And, and that was supposed to be indicative of Jesus or God taking back the nation of Israel. You know, so you never want to counsel somebody on a moral issue like that. If it is clear what the morality is, you just tell them. Again, marrying somebody who's an unbeliever. It's clear. You don't even have to pray about that. And if some people say, well, you know, I'm really praying about it. You don't have to. It says don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. You know, I need to steal something in order to provide for my family. No, don't do that. Seek out some help. You know, these moral issues, you don't have to pray about the moral issues that are black and white. Just don't do it. That's the counsel you give. But these things that are a little more nebulous, you want to give the counsel. Just go back to God. Ask him. Look at the circumstances around you. God can bring people into your life 
that will give you direction. And you won't even know it. You can be praying about something and the information comes to you, the direction comes to you from that person. The very thing you've been praying for, that person fulfills the prayer. And they have no idea that you have been praying about that particular issue. And so God can do that. So this casting of lots... Again, we probably had the Urim, well, we did have the Urim and the Thummim. Uh, names could have been written on that, and that's how they would have done it. They also, they could shake in a container stones, not just bones, but stones, and they would cast them out, and they would look at them and see which one fell first. And like I said, no moral issues or no moral questions would be involved here. So the decision of how that lot falls obviously would come from the Lord, and I told you about the book of Jonah and the book of Esther and all of that, the, the casting of lots. You know what? I have a double message here, or I keep on going back. My pad is messing up. Okay, here we go. What verse are we in? Twenty-six. Okay, and they cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias. This thing keeps on jumping around. I don't know what's going on. It's probably like my mind. Uh, it says, so it was added to the 11 apostles. And that's, they had Matthias in there. Now, what else is God's will for us? There are a few verses that state directly and definitively what God's will is for you and for me. Like, for instance, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will. Oh, that's a clue right there. That you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. I mean, he says that all the way through Scripture in different places. 1 Thessalonians five sixteen. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Oh, this is God's will. Okay, these, this is simple. This is easy. Just spell it out. I can remember giving counsel where uh, trying to instruct somebody on how to love his wife. And I, I gave examples of what to do. Uh, like, for instance, pay attention to her, you know, every once in a while, maybe at least once every three years, give her flowers. Maybe every four years, you know, something like that would work. And, and maybe take her out, you know, go on a date, pay attention to her, give her some money to go buy something, maybe go to a spa, all of those types of things. And I'm giving him these examples. He goes, wait, let me write this down. And I said, you're missing the point. The point is you sacrifice your whole life for her, making sure she is happy and satisfied. And he wasn't making the connection. He needed the simple, well, take her out, buy her flowers, let her have some money, let her go to the spot, those types of things. Well, that's what this is. This is avoid sexual immorality, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Not for all circumstances, but in all circumstances, give thanks. And then also, what if you're suffering Do you think it's God's will that you suffer? There are whole sections of the Christian church that say, no, you're only suffering because there's sin in your life. The Old Testament too. Remember Job? Just confess your sin. You know, his wife said, ah, just curse God and die. And what's the deal with that? That's not how we're supposed to look at it. If we're suffering, maybe it's God's will that we suffer. You know, people have been designated to suffer and die 
for the gospel. Philippians talks about that. You've been given the privilege to suffer. Well, what if you find yourself in the midst of suffering? In the midst of that, give thanks to God. How hard is that? That is hard. That is difficult. We're not supposed to be giving thanks for the circumstances, but in the midst of the circumstances, if we have the heart of God that he has placed in us, we can give thanks because something good is going to come out of that. God takes all that which is broken and ruined and he brings something wonderful, but we have to go through that process. And in our Christian lives, once we suffer, and you've heard me say this before, Pastor Chuck used to say, in order for a pastor to be used, he has to be broken. And so if you went out and said, who wants to be broken? You're not going to get any volunteers. If you said, who wants to be a pastor? Oh, I think I want to be a pastor. Do you want to be broken? Well, not so much. I, I think God will protect me. Yeah, he'll protect you, maybe even to the point of death, and you'll still go to heaven. That's what the protection is. And so we have to understand it may be God's will for us to suffer. And it's God's will that if we're suffering, it needs to be for doing good, not for doing evil. First Peter 3.17 says, it is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. So if you're suffering, make sure you're suffering because you did that which is good. All around the world right now, and in this country, the Christians are being persecuted. I keep on getting emails from over in Burma. You know, the, the persecution that's taking place of the Christians over there, people are being killed. Pastors are being killed over there. Right now, as we speak, they're being killed. Places in Africa, the Christians are being subdued and oppressed over there, especially a lot of places in Africa. China's moving in with their Belt and Road project. What they do, I, th- I think you know about this, what they do is China comes in and finances roads to go from city to city and they'll put in some infrastructure and they'll even build buildings. I I remember last time I was in Cambodia, there were 25 story tall high rises that were going up financed by China. Well, what they do is they come back and they say, okay, we need you to pay this money. Well, when they don't have the money, what they do is they say, okay, give us this port or give us these natural resources. And they are doing this all over the world. They're doing it in South America. They're doing it in all the, not all the countries, but a lot of countries in Africa. They're doing that in some of the places in the Middle East. And China's just moving in. And they are bent on world domination. In uh, Uganda and also Cambodia, guess who's being persecuted over there? It's the Christians under these belt and road policies of the Chinese because the Chinese come in and say now you can't allow this particular person to say this particular thing in this venue and so they're persecuting the Christians and Christians are dying Uh, I just recently not too long ago read an article over in Uganda a Christian pastor was killed by the Muslims who were over there and Uganda is about 65% Christian but the Muslims are growing when you drive down the road you see the schools with the kids and all the girls have their head covering and they're all in the same uniform large Muslim populations coming in there so we want to make sure that we understand that persecution might be God's will for us and if we find ourselves in that particular place we're simply supposed to give thanks so Matthias was assigned this apostleship so In general, who are the apostles? What is their purpose? What are the qualifications of an apostle? How did someone become an apostle? And are apostles around today? All of these questions. 
know, there's the apostolic Bible. There's the apostolic churches, which are out there. I was reading up on some of the apostolic churches, and these churches are all independent, and they have a chief apostle, which is in there. And there were some people who would try to call Chuck Smith an apostle. You know, he's like an apostle because he has all these churches. Now, you know, Chuck was an apostle. If you went to him, you ask him, who are you? He goes, the servant of Jesus Christ. That's who I am. You know, he'd pick up trash and give messages and do what God calls him to do as a pastor. So uh, this, excuse me again, it just jumped on me. I'm back in the straws. Hold on a second. Why is it doing this? Jumping around. So this idea of apostles. Who are they? What is their purpose? What is their qualification? All of these things. We're supposed to answer these questions. We're supposed to know this. Like the church gets set up. This is, this is the Pentecost that we're going to be reading about coming next week. That's when the church began. Now, aren't you interested in ancestry? Where did your parents come from? Did they come from Europe? Did they come from the area of Russia, China, Middle East, where did they come from? Well, this is the origin of the church. How did the church get here? How did we get here as the church? You know, this has been going on for a couple thousand years. And and so how did we get here? The apostles were instrumental in this. If you read the New Testament, it was the apostles who authored the New Testament. Now you might say, well, wait a second. Mark wasn't an apostle. This is true. Mark wasn't an apostle, but he was the secretary to Peter. Peter probably told him what to write, and Mark wrote it down. Well, Luke wasn't an apostle. That's correct. He wasn't an apostle. But who did he hang out with? Paul. And so Paul gave him this information, said, hey, put this information down. I'm sure he's led by the Holy Spirit, so that could be an exception. It wasn't all Paul, I'm sure, that was in there. And also the book of Acts, it was Luke again. Well, what about Jude? Well, Jude was Judas, the brother of Jesus, also the brother of James. Well, what about James? James Was he an apostle? And how many apostles were there? You know, I went back on some notes years ago, and I came up with a number, about 15. I went back, and I looked how many apostles there were. 20 is what I come up with. There's 20 apostles that are listed in Scripture. James, the brother of Jesus, you know, he was the head of the church in Jerusalem, or he's the one that spoke for the church in Jerusalem. People think it was Peter, but no, James was there. And if you go to 1 Corinthians 15, he appeared to the apostles, and to James. It's like, why did he pick out James, his brother, to appear to him? And he appears to be an an apostle. And there's one verse that makes you think, well, he appeared, Jesus did as the resurrection, to the uh, brother, his brother, to James. And it's believed that he was an apostle as well. And so these apostles, there's 20 of them, but there's this designation of the 12. And the 12 are going to sit on 12 thrones, and they're going to judge the nation of Israel. Well, what about the rest of them? And were there more than 20? Probably. And Well, how many were there? Who knows? But there were more than 12, but there are 12 which are designated to sit on 12 thrones, and they're going to judge. But these apostles... They ended up delivering to us the proper doctrine, the teaching which is out there. We know about the gifts of the Spirit. We know about the creation of the church. We know about the mystery of Christ. All of these things. So how do you choose an apostle? Well, they are called to preach Christ. Mark chapter 3 verse 14 says, He appointed 12, designated them as apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So the apostles were preachers. That's one thing that they did. If somebody says they're an apostle and they don't preach, 
Sorry, disqualified. Two, or secondly, they're chosen by Jesus himself. Acts 1-2, until the day he was taken up from heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. Now, he chose the apostles just like he chose you for salvation. And so that, that can be a little vague. Well, he chose them himself. Did he choose the apostle Paul? He did. He met them on this road. He blinded them, you know, and he said, what are you doing? And he met with him. And he actually got taught by Jesus, I believe personally, for several years before he went out and he started doing his ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. Also, they had to be, when they were choosing Matthias, Matthias had to be with them the whole time. Well, what about Paul? Was he with them the whole time? I think he was in the area. I think he was in the vicinity. I think he was the one bringing questions to Jesus. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He would have been right there in the midst. He knew the high priest. He was going back and forth. We don't have that information, but it just stands to reason. He would have been doing that, especially since he was a chief persecutor of those who are Christians. He was familiar with the sect of Christianity. And also, this is a big one, Acts chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. In 2 Corinthians 12, 2, these things mark an apostle's signs, wonders, and miracles were done among you with great perseverance. That's a mark of an apostle, miracles. Now, if some people come up and say, some pastors or apostles come up and say, there were miracles last night, people got saved. Yeah, but that's just evangelism. That's not a miracle. It's a miracle. Lives are changed. Yes, lives do get changed, but it's not a... I want to see somebody come out of the grave. That's what I want to see. I want to see an arm that's not there be made whole, completely just grow out again. I want to see eyes that aren't there just be restored. I want to see fire coming down from heaven. I want to see Lindo Lake parted, go from one end to the other on dry ground, choking on the dust. That time, I want to see a miracle. If somebody says that they're an apostle, you better have a bona fide miracle in your pocket that you can pull out at any time, video on YouTube, Rumble, wherever it might be. You can go there and you can see the miracle. That's what I want to see if somebody says that they're an apostle. And they had to have seen Jesus. Of course, 1 Corinthians 9.1, Paul said, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? So he saw Jesus more than once, I believe. And they are part of the foundation of the church. Now, let me ask you this. Is the foundation still being set? The answer is no. It is not being set. It was set by Jesus as the cornerstone, the apostles and prophets, as the foundation. Once that was laid, you are on the foundation. You and I, all Christians are on the foundation. We're being built into this holy temple, the church, collectively. And then the 12, like I said, will sit on 12 thrones to judge. Matthew chapter 19, verse 28 says, You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, will it be Matthias, the one that's going to be on that throne? Will it be Paul, Barnabas, Silas? We don't know exactly who it's going to be, but if you take the 12, and and that would include Matthias, and you have Paul, Barnabas, Andronicus, Junius, Silas, Timothy, Apollos, and James, the brother of Jesus, that adds up to 20 people. You just have to go through the search and and start looking up who is called 
uh, an apostle in the scriptures. And so with all of this, the, the application from this section of scripture, and I'm not going to go too much farther on this because we're going to get into the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is so controversial and it doesn't need to be. This baptism of the Holy Spirit, what, what takes place, it's the Holy Spirit. It's like we're dipping in water while we're dipping in the Holy Spirit. But you can't get a jar of Holy Spirit poured out and dip yourself in that. But it's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what happens with that? All kinds of things happen. Sometimes you don't recognize anything. But it has been so abused inside the church. Remember 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians, he goes, you guys are crazy. People are going to come in, see you're all speaking in tongues. They're going to think you're crazy and they're going to walk back out. And do you always speak in tongues if you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And is tongues still for today? And what about interpretation of tongues and all these sign gifts? And they get misused and abused. You know, I have seen churches where they're just jumping up and down, riotous sort of, and everybody's doing their own thing, and somebody's running in circles at the back of the church, and banners are going up and down the church, and it's just like chaos and pandemonium. And they think that's the baptism of the Spirit and the Toronto blessing where a woman's going across the stage on all fours roaring like a lion because of the baptism of the Holy Spirit being slain in this it's just like craziness which is out there the charismatics have been become charismaniacs out there and God would say do not do these types of things and it's so clear from scripture how we're supposed to act we know our God is a God of order not of craziness which is out there And so I'm going to go through that whole description, and it's going to take a full message, maybe even two, to get through that. So we don't have to be weirded out. And then you say, well, are you going to pray for us to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? (laughs) Yeah, I am. I'm going to pray for you guys. Well, is something weird going to happen? Am I going to do something that I'm not supposed to do? Am I going to blurt out speaking into, you know, it's just calm down. Just take the temperature down a little bit. The Lord has instructed us what it is. And there are people that they have been so weirded out by it in the ministry. They say, it doesn't even exist anymore. It's not part of the church. That was for the first century. Just like the gifts. They're cessationists is what it is. And the cessationists say that the gifts are not for today. And there have been whole seminars on it. Strange fire. These people are cultish. And it's influenced by demons and the devil. I don't believe any of that. It's the simple teaching from Scripture. There's no indication that this thing has ceased. There's people throughout all of history who has written about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But you need to just listen to what it is and what God's will is. And you don't have to be all weirded out. And, you know, I've I've seen so much of this where somebody will grab somebody else and grab their head. And they're praying for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they're just shaking around in their head. It's like, no, that's not how it's done. That's not what the Lord had intended. And so I'm going to get into that. But to, to wrap this part up, knowing God's will, they cast lots. I have names on straws down here. We can do them for anything, you know, not just foot rubbing, but we can do something else. But this idea, is that what we're supposed to do? Which college am I supposed to go to? Get the bones, Jack. Get the bones. I throw the bones. You, know, you don't do it that way. Our walk is supposed to be a walk of faith. And you don't have to cast lots anymore. You don't have to get the Yahtzee board out and put the dice down there and see what comes up, royal flush or whatever. We simply want to take time, see what his directed will is in Scripture. 
Like, for instance, should you marry? Do you want to get married? Well, I think I might. Okay, get married. What? That's easy. That's an easy one. Just find the right person to get married. And, and so these, these types of things, just ask God. He's able to speak. We just don't hear clearly. You've heard me say that. But he speaks very clearly. It's just learning how to listen to what he has to say to us. And there are some, like I said, some things outside of the pages of Scripture. Should I rent? Should I buy a house? Should I move? Go to another city? All of those things. My feeling, just to summarize this, my feeling, the intent of Scripture, if you're doing everything that God wants you to do, and you've made the checklist, have you prayed about it? Have you sought counsel? Have you read in the Word? You get to choose And God will bless whatever you choose. But there's so many choices. I know, isn't it great? You don't have one type of bread, potato or wheat or what. You can choose whatever you want to do if you're walking with the Lord and it will still turn out for your benefit. You know, Paul, he he tried to go to Asia and God said, no, you're not going to go. And he kept on going. He said the Holy Spirit prevented them. He will direct us. He will put things in your path. That's how you know God's will. Just Abide in him, and he will direct your paths. I think there's a verse or a couple of verses that say that. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. Proverbs chapter 3, 5 and 6. And then this idea, the office of an apostle. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles and some to be prophets and some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. These are all offices that God has created. And the apostles were part of the original office uh, offices that were set up for the foundation of the church. There are no apostles today. It's important that we understand who the apostles are because he gave them the instruction that we're supposed to follow. We're not supposed to say that's not true. Now, some things are difficult to understand. Even Peter said that about Paul's writings. But there are things that God will give us wisdom on, namely next week, the baptism of the Spirit. And if you disagree with the teaching of the baptism of the Spirit, that's okay. It's not a salvation issue. It's just a blessing issue. For those who really ask for it, and by the way, that's one of the things Scripture says to do, is ask for it. You mean I ask for this thing that makes me act weird? No, that's not what it is. But hopefully the Lord will enlighten us. May the Lord give you wisdom and understanding as you seek to please him, as you're in his word. May he direct your paths. And I have one final question. Did any of you ask someone if they wanted to live forever? this last week okay I'm going to give you the challenge again go out and add you know I kept on looking for people to ask and it it just wasn't the right time you know there's a time to everything under heaven this is Ecclesiastes chapter 3 you know you don't just blurt it out somewhere driving down the road hey you want to live forever you you don't do that but I, I had this opportunity this last week oh man Lord brings some youth Oh, just and Patty gets me home. She goes, you didn't ask her. She wanted to live forever. You know, but we spent, we didn't leave until 1030. I mean, we're going over the gospel and just all this stuff. It it was incredible. And, And so if you don't ask somebody if they can live forever, ask 
the Lord to bless somebody that they can ask the question of somebody else. Do you want to live forever? It's our job to do these works of service, to prepare God's people for works of service. So go out and try it. I know it's nerve-wracking. You have to step out of your box. Do you want to live forever? Okay, come to church. We'll tell you how. Yeah, or you just tell them if you know the gospel. Oh, you did. You asked somebody. Well, that's a good one too. Where do you want to live forever? Uh, Yeah, heaven or hell. And by the way, when I was um, doing this witnessing thing, I didn't feel I could pull punches. I had to say some things that some people might consider offensive. And you know, the gospel is offensive. But I said, you know, there's two types of people. There's the righteous and the wicked. If you don't have Christ, you're wicked. I was wicked. I'm not wicked anymore. I'm declared righteous. I'm justified. And it's like, you're calling me wicked? You know what? But yeah, the whole world is wicked. And, and just explaining things. And uh, it's, it's such an exhilarating time to be able to do that. And I just want to encourage you guys. Invite somebody to church. Ask them, do you want to live forever? Hey, do you go to church? Do you know who Jesus Christ is? Have you ever wondered? And God, if you prepare yourself, God will use you and it'll be a tremendous blessing. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I know what it is. I think so many in here do. Know what it is to be in your will. And we know what it is to be outside your will. Help us all to be centered on you. Always. Help us to say no to the flesh. Help us to say yes to the spirit. And help us to have a concern for the lost. There are so many, Lord. Provide for us the opportunities and help us to be faithful as you provide them. To tell them about Jesus Christ, your son, our Messiah. And it's in his name we pray these things in the church said. Amen. Please stand.